Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, April 5th. Canadian astronaut Jeremy Hansen has been chosen to take part in the historic Artemis II space mission, which will be the furthest reaching mission in history. We discuss the impact having a Canadian on the team means to our nation and the interest in space in our country with Gordon Osinski, professor in Earth and Planetary Science at Western University. Earlier this week, the provincial government announced funding to hire and train 100 new officers for Calgary and Edmonton to increase safety on public transit and in particular at LRT stations. We'll talk about the current state of transit in the city and whether this injection of money will be enough to fix the ongoing issues with our on-air contributor, Dave McIver. And finally, it's an Easter egg hunt for you and your canine companion, and it's all for a great cause. We get details on the festive event from Allison Archambault, event coordinator for National Service Dogs. NASA announced this week that Canadian astronaut Jeremy Hansen will join the Artemis II crew, making him the first Canadian to orbit around the moon. But with him joining the crew, what would that mean for our country? Does it boost us and our status? Joining us to talk about it is Gordon Osinski, who is a professor in Earth and Planetary Science at Western University. Good morning to you, Professor. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. Uh, You said in an article that you had written that Jeremy Hansen was among those you trained in geology years ago. What was he like as a student back then? (laughs) Um, Pretty exceptional, as you might imagine. You know, all of our astronaut corps and, you know, every astronaut I've met, of course, was selected for a very good reason, you know, out of thousands and thousands of people. Um, But no, it was very fun. Um, you know, Jeremy is a fighter pilot by background, has a bit of a, a physics background, uh, but had no geology at that time. But he's a, a quick learner and, and is, you know, very humble. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was great to have her out in the field with me. And it's interesting. I'm around the same age as Jeremy. He's a little bit more accomplished than I am, <laughs> Professor. But um, for me, I very much grew up watching, you know, the space shuttle program and dreaming about the International Space Station and watching these things come to fruition. But then, of course, with the uh, shuttle program being shuttered, um, you know, as far as uh, space travel in North America, it seems like there's been a lull. Uh, so do you think that this is an, an important, uh, you know, time to see somebody like Jeremy Hansen do what he's doing to, to have renewed interest among Canadian youth? Absolutely, yeah. I think we're, we're entering a new era um, of space exploration, of human space flight, for sure. Um, as you mentioned, you know, after the space shuttle, there was definitely a bit of a lull. Um, we've had some excitement in the last few years, right, though, with uh, private companies, you know, providing launches to the International Space Station. So that's picked up a bit. Um, but now we're going to, you know, take head back to the moon, which, you know, you and I, it sounds like, are probably similar age, too, as Jeremy. We were born after Apollo, so it's been, you know, over 50 years that we've left the, you know, the protection, essentially, of low Earth orbit, which is only a few hundred kilometers above our head. And uh, we're hopefully going to go back to the moon um, for a sustained duration this time and uh, and eventually on to Mars, as, uh, you know, NASA stated too on Monday. Uh, Professor, with the Canadian now joining this Artemis II crew, what does it mean for Canada's status? Does it give us a boost? Does it make us a little more high profile? Absolutely. You know, I think, uh, and, you know, this is a huge coup for, for Canada. Um, you know, there's a lot of international partners who are part of this overall Artemis program. You know, big partners like Europe and Japan who've been uh, with us uh, in the International Space Station. So, you know, for Canada to secure a seat on this first ever uh, crewed launch of the Orion uh, spacecraft, I think, is, is absolutely huge. And, 
you know, there's a lot of attention um, this week. But I uh, hope, you know, when the mission launches, of course, I uh, hope that all Canadian eyes will be on Jeremy as they, you know, spend a bit of time in this high Earth orbit and then head uh, not just onto the moon, but beyond the moon in this big flyby. And, you know, even though this Artemis II mission is a test mission, it's going to set records because that will be the furthest from Earth that any human will have ever gone. And we can say that a Canadian, you know, will uh, have broken that first record. Can we say gone where no one has gone before? Something Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I, I want to ask you this, again, speaking with uh, Professor Gordon Osinski. He's a professor in Earth and Planetary Science from Western University. Uh, back again it, during the heyday uh, of the 80s when we had so many shuttle missions, and again, I guess you could take the heyday back to the early, late 60s for the American space program in the moon. Uh, it was the Canada, Canada Arm, Canada Arm, and that, that's what, how we kind of got in the game and what we were known for. Uh, of course, that kind of put us on the map, in my opinion. Uh, what are we known for today? What what can Canadians do to contribute to uh, space exploration? That's a great question. And so, you know, I would say it's still a bit of the same, but there's much more. And so um, two, three years ago now, um, when kind of Canada essentially stated that it was going to sign up and, uh, and go with NASA to the moon, um, there was a big commitment for Canada on three. So that is still in development. Uh, MDA, based here in Brampton, in Ontario, who, you know, made Canada Arm 1 for the shuttle, Canada Arm 2 for the space station. We're now building Canada Arm 3 for what's called the Lunar Gateway, which is going to be kind of an outpost around the moon. Think of like a little mini international space station. Um, it's going to be a lot more sophisticated because it's further from Earth. It's going to use artificial intelligence for control and things. So we are very much still known for our robotics, and that big contribution of Canada on three is a big part, a big reason why we have you know, Jeremy on Artemis II. Um, but we've really expanded, I would say, our portfolio, if I can call it that, of uh, you know space contributions. Um, we have you know active instruments on uh, Mars rovers right now. We have people on those Mars rovers teams. Um, late last year, too, of course, it was announced that we're going to have our very first uh, Canadian-led rover mission to the moon. And, uh, you know, I'm involved in that. Uh, and then, you know, we have an instrument, a pretty big uh, contribution to the James Webb Space Telescope, which is sending back, you know, amazing images of distant galaxies. So we are, we are, have been, and I, I would say increasingly involved in, you know, many different aspects of uh, planetary and space exploration. There are then even beyond engineering and science, you know, we have uh, expertise in space law, which has become a, a big thing in the last few years. So there's, I, I think the message is that, you know, if you're interested in anything, there's a way to, to get you into the Canadian space program. You wrote in an article in the conversation about as well, not just about the, the, the space issue of things and the, the astronauts themselves, but growing food potentially on the surface of the moon with something called the Deep Space Food Challenge. Can you tell us a bit about that and what's going to be done? Yeah, for sure. And so this is the really, uh, I think, a really great thing about space exploration is that it just, you know, it pushes the bounds of what humans can do both physically, you know, when Jeremy launches up there, but in terms of the engineering as well and the science, um, you know, we're pushing the, the limits of our knowledge in, in engineering, designing spacecraft. Um, there's two big uh, things, of course, for keeping humans alive in space, and one is, uh, you know, keeping them healthy, so delivering health care in very remote environments, 
and then also, as you said, growing food. And so the Canadian government and uh, one of those two, I think the Health Challenge was done in partnership with NASA, there are essentially some competitions where companies are, you know, putting coming up with sometimes quite wacky ideas, but that's often where the best ideas come from, these very open competitions, because we want to be able to grow food on the moon so that we don't have to take it, uh, take it all up with us. And the really nice thing about that is that there's a lot of synergies, you know, not quite as extreme challenges, but, you know, we have um, a very dispersed population, uh, many communities in the Canadian north, uh, and even, you know, in rural parts of my province and your province, Alberta and Ontario, it's really hard to get fresh food. So, you know, if we can design technologies to do that in space, I think we can probably manage to do a lot better in uh, remote communities here on Earth, too. And what I want to tackle that we got like a minute here, uh, Professor, but this is something that maybe it's common knowledge. It's certainly something I'm unaware of, though. When we talk about the moon itself, we have heard about ice and, and perhaps that could be a water source, I'm thinking. But beyond the moon, when we're, when we're reaching further, you know, for example, to Mars, how would water be attained for these astronauts, these men and women up there? Uh, so for for both um, objects, so for Mars, it's even easier. We do think, um, you know, one of the big reasons for going back to the moon is to see if there is water ice there. But we're pretty convinced that there is water ice on Mars, uh, either buried under the ground in kind of latitudes similar to where we are and in the polar caps. And so, you know, it's a key thing is that we cannot take all the water, especially all the way to Mars. And so we're going to need to extract it. Uh, and use it in situ on that planet. But thankfully, science and various missions over the past uh, few decades have told us that Mars has plenty of water. It's just how we get it out and uh, how we process it now. You can see his article at theconversation.com. Thanks so much for your time, Professor. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you, Sir and Andy. Thank you. Gordon Ozinski is a professor in Earth and Planetary Science at Western University. Welcoming Dave McIver back and mornings with Sue and Andy producer Reese Schaefer joining us as well. The conversation is one surrounding safety on Calgary Transit. And uh, it's just been, you know, a couple of announcements yesterday in regards to this. But it's been a, a really a difficult thing and a different difficult time for people who have to ride, who are forced to ride Calgary Transit, whether it's for work or for other purposes. And there's been a, a whole lot of violent incidents out there on transit, Dave, and on the transit lines and on the cars themselves. And Sue, it's not just uh, the people riding either. It's, you know, a, a nearly 10% increase of, uh, of assaults were, were on peace officers. The majority being transit officers, uh, Chief uh, Police Chief Mark Neufeld saying in uh, reports of assault in the city's transit system have seen month-over-month increases through the first quarter of 2023, rising from 26 in January to 41 in March. And that three-month period has seen an average of one per day. So wow. think, about, think about that. You, you head down and you, there's been one per day. And maybe, you know, there's been three on one day and, and zero on another. But that, that's a risk factor of... Okay, so this is going to happen at what at some point per day. Is it going to happen here? Am I going to witness it? Is it going to happen to me? And so I just wanted to chat with you guys, talk talk to the listeners as well. You know, if you're got 
you both have kids. I have a wife who's pregnant. Uh, Reese's got uh, a significant other. Like, would you feel safe sending someone in your family past, you know, six, seven o'clock at night down mm-hmm. to um, the C train stations downtown or even, you know, the ones that, you know, lead to downtown or or on the bus? It's it's something that uh, I'd think twice about. Uh, you know, it's not something we have 100%. to deal with. But, um, you know, your thoughts, like, w- would you send, you know, your kids down there soon? I have a 13-year-old son who on Fridays, they have a short day at school and he and his buddies love to get on the bus, take the train, go to a mall, kind of hang out together. That's their thing. And I, right now, as they go back, you know, after the Easter break, perhaps, I don't know. I'm not sure that I would let that happen right now with the way things are. It's just too many unknowns. It's too dangerous right now. You know, my partner was going to go downtown to the Central Library just to do some work and get some work done and get out of the house. And then she realized she had to take transit. So she decided not to go and i think that's the reality and the sad thing is i know we talked about transit safety a year ago nothing has changed Mm -hmm. nothing's got any better it's probably got worse it feels like anyway well and you think about these numbers 100 street level officers next 18 months it's it's quite the time frame when we need help and assistance right now and how much of a difference will that make unless my thought is, and again, with, with my teens, yeah, not during off hours, not during dark, uh, you know, I, I don't want my kids on the C-train, but they have to use transit to get to school. Those mm-hmm. are uh, right. business mm-hmm. hours. But in the end, it is, as far as I'm concerned, it, it is a big picture thing. And I get that. I totally understand. Uh, but unless you have an officer on every one of those yeah, train cars. Exactly. And it, is it doable? Yeah. Is it expensive? Oh, yeah, it's expensive. And when something goes down, you've got to call an officer, just like in any yeah. other situation. Somebody's got to get to that situation quickly and how's that going to happen i think it's time to revisit the idea of having some sort of turnstile system on the lrt lines like if you look at vancouver it doesn't feel like it's nearly as unsafe like when i've been in vancouver and it's just strange because it's vancouver it's vancouver but you have to get your ticket before you can get onto the platform and i I mean transit as well yeah that's the way it needs to be i think and um, hopefully next time we have the mayor on which i think might be tomorrow need Mm -hmm. to confirm that but yes obviously this is something that i think City Council needs to talk about. And you just look at, you know, you, you talk about the things that you know, you're, you might be dealing with, you know, the, the weapons seized during the undercover ops, um, Police Chief Mark Newfeld said, knives, machetes, bear spray, mm-hmm. handgun, uh, and that's still being investigated for its ability to fire live rounds. But those are the kind of things that you don't expect to be dealing with. And, you know, I definitely didn't grow up with because I used to be a huge transit rider. We used to yeah. go to the movies all the time, and it just it felt like the safest thing ever. And now... I don't know if I would send myself down there, you know, super late, and I consider myself be able to hold my own, right? It's it's one of those things, instead of, you know, getting, you know, I go to the Flames games, right? Instead of getting on that train after the game, you know, I'll pay that extra money for a cab. One, is it more convenient? Yes, of course, even. or park my car, now that I have a, you know, designated driver. Um, but uh, it's certainly something that uh, you think twice about now, that something that you never thought twice about, you know, let's say five, ten years ago. Thousands of colorful eggs are ready to be found for Easter this Friday. You and your pup encouraged to collect the eggs and win some great prizes. But more importantly, you'll be helping out a great cause, NSD or National Service Dogs. Joining us now is Allison Archambault, Easter Egg Hunt Coordinator for NSD. Hi, Allison. Good morning and happy Easter. Happy almost Easter to you too. I'm excited about these Easter eggs. Are they chocolate or no? Probably not because they're for the dogs, right? they're not your favorite kind of egg so um, we have been stuffing dog treats into thousands of eggs in my family room for weeks my family (laughs) is so excited about this Um, and we are ready to uh, um, lay them all over the South Lawn at Callaway Park um, on Good Friday morning 
Um, and as you said, it's all for a good cause. Folks will come down with uh, their fur baby and uh, come hunt for dog treat filled eggs. You're encouraged to collect pledges in advance to support National Service Dogs work to uh, pair service dogs with uh, children with autism and uh, um, people impacted by PTSD, whether it's veterans or first responders. Allison, I think my experience might be similar to many. We, we see these service dogs and we see working dogs, but not exactly sure how they uh, became service dogs. So talk about your work with the organization and what it's like to, to train these dogs. Well, I've trained 17 service dogs for National Service Dogs over the years, and uh, my role is uh, one part of many. So we have uh, um, a breeding program that uh, not only relies on our own breeding dogs, but uses uh, um, other dogs to ensure the best genetics go into these animals. Um, there's um, folks that are involved in um, breeding them, whelping the puppies, giving them the very best start of socialization so that they're receptive to all their early learnings. And then uh, the dogs go to um, a puppy raising family for um, anywhere from three months to uh, 18 months where they learn how to be out and about in the world, I always say appropriately bored, um, learning how to um, be uh, real, uh, real quiet ambassadors um, for both the organization as well as uh, for their client handler. And then they head to university where one of my recent dogs headed to. Um, and the idea of NSD University is to learn all the important service dog skills um, under the uh, love and care of more volunteers and our trainers, and then ultimately um, being paired into a program. Um, so our programs can uh, range from autism or canine-assisted intervention, uh, PTSD support, um, and then, of course, NSD's role doesn't end from there. Uh, we check in with the families regularly, um, help them shoot any uh, troubles that uh, they may be having in their training journey um, or uh, public access, um, and NSD supports that family throughout the length of um, that dog's life, um, and, um, you know, the, the public gets to see that uh, the love of many, many, many volunteers and staff members in action and, of course, our, our important donors. Well, I love this is a 25th anniversary of the National Service Dogs Easter Egg Hunt. So six locations across the country, of course, one of them here in Calgary. Uh, tell us how it all happens at Callaway Park. We have to register ahead of time, I'm assuming. Love it if you would um, register in advance. Uh, folks can go online to nsd.on.ca to do that. Um, and uh, there's a discount for registering in advance. Um, the registration starts at Callaway Park at 10 a.m. on uh, Good Friday. The hunt starts at 11 a.m. Um, and uh, everyone will get a uh, um, will get a swag bag thanks to our amazing uh, um, dog uh, treat sponsors. Um, and those that collect the most uh, pledges um, to support NSD's work uh, will receive additional uh, prizes. Um, Kelly Park is not open to the public at this time of year. I know everybody's getting excited for them to be open, um, but they're so well known for family fun and, and have been really supporting us over the years with a great space to be able to do this. I'm wondering, Allison, the website that you gave out, is that the same website that people can go to if they have more of an interest in, in helping out NSD? They can uh, find out all things NSD, including how to uh, sign up for the hunt and how to be uh, involved in NSD's work uh, at the website, yes. Fantastic. It's going to be an awesome event. We'll send people to nsd.on.ca. I can't even imagine Callaway Park full of dogs and people running around having a fun time. This is just a great idea. 
It's tons of fun um, and a uh, great way to burn some energy off your fur baby before more family and friends come over to celebrate this special time of year. And it's a family-friendly event, um, so your dog gets some exercise, uh, your kiddos get some exercise, and everybody goes home with a full heart and a full belly. Love it. Thanks, Allison. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Happy Easter. Allison Archambault, Easter Egg Hunt Coordinator for NSD National Service Dogs. Again, that website to get more info and to find out about this weekend's or this Friday's event, nsd.on.ca.